What's going on? It's Zach here. Just reminding you that this year the talk is in partnership with Stella's Place. We are on a mission to raise at the $5,500, which we are off to a great start so far. Thank you to everyone who's contributed. And of course, when we hit that mark, when we hit that mark, Dakota and I will be doing a polar bear dip in early March. So hit up our Instagram page, find the link in our bio to donate. That would be awesome. And as always, if you want to support our brand while supporting Stella, Stella's Place at the 55.ca. You go to the store, the dry fit t-shirts, the masks, the hats, supplies are running low. We really appreciate everyone who are putting in orders. And of course, proceeds are going to Stella's Place. You'll hear me hype up today's guest in just a second. I'm so stoked we made this happen. So enjoy the episode. What's up? My name is Deshaun Stevens from Persevere, and you're listening to At The 55. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. Today we bring you another installment of The Talk, our interview conversation show revolving around mental health and how it uh, plays into athletics and football in particular. Today we have a very special guest. This is a, a collaboration of sorts that the, the world has not seen since since Katie joined the Warriors, since Eddie Vedder and Chris Cornell did Hunger Strike, since Jay-Z and Kanye did Watch the Throne. Joining us today, we have a man who's a sports journalist, entrepreneur, and the founder of Persevere, the brand you know and love that covers all things Canadian University sports, and maybe more. We'll get into that in the episode. Deshaun Stevens. Deshaun, how you doing, my friend? Yo, Zach, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, you kind of hyped me up there. I'm just a normal guy, man. I'm just a normal guy. Come on now. Appreciate the love, though. Appreciate the love. But uh, good to be here. Good to be here. Well, it, it, it's our pleasure getting you uh, on the pod. And, you know, I, I you know, just kind of doing a bit of background research. And, uh, you know, I didn't even know you were a Toronto guy, which just made me light up. I I, I absolutely love that. Um, you know, I, you, you're, the brand, everything you guys do, it's it, it's all under the brand, much like how we put everything out at the 55. So people might not be as familiar with your own personal story. And of course, we'll kind of get into the connection with, with mental health and, and all that. But I kind of want to just give you a, a moment to sort of talk about a bit of how you got to where you are, uh, obviously going to Waterloo, playing football, and then you know a couple uh, injuries and things like that, and eventually creating this great brand that you are now um, spearheading with Persevere. Can we get just a quick, like, however you want to tell your story of through football, getting into the media landscape and what you're doing right now? Yeah, no, for sure. I think, uh, and, and this might sound a cliche coming from a person like me, but I think my story is really all about perseverance, really and truly. Right. And, and um, so, yeah, like you said, I used to play football. I played football at Waterloo. I was there for four years. I was there for five years, played for four years, played rugby for one year. Um, but I've been playing football only in, since like the 12th grade. Um, so I started playing football when I was in 12th grade. Uh, high school never had a football team. So always wanted to play football, just never had access to the sport. Uh, played one year of Toronto Junior Argos, which is, you know, one of the, uh, the club teams here in the city of Toronto. And um, I guess I did good enough to, to end up somewhere. Right. And so, uh, yeah, I was at Waterloo um, doing my thing. I was studying, uh, majoring in business and speech communications while minoring in legal studies. And um, you talked about injuries. Yeah, when I was in my first year, I actually broke my tibia and fibula. So that's the, uh, the Paul George break. So I broke my tibia and fibula a week before training camp and missed my entire first year of football. And um, so that that whole experience of, you know, having the sport taken away from you so early really forced me to kind of just think about like, hey, what do I want to do with my life outside of football? Because 
you know, whether it be a year from now, two years from now, or 10 years from now, the sport's going to be taken away from me one day, right? Um, so really and truly, I just spent my years in university, obviously playing football and being a part of the team and all that stuff and loving the experience, but also in my free time, just, you know, really trying to build myself up professionally and see what I want to do with my life and just explore different routes and, and where I want to end up in my life. Um, so, uh, so you talk about persevere. Uh, so yeah, a little bit about persevere. So basically persevere is a uh, athlete empowerment brand and sports media platform that seeks to deliver athlete driven storytelling, uh, while showcasing Canadian university sports. Um, our goal is to upgrade and reimagine the university sports experience here in Canada. Um, so obviously, you know, being able to deliver that university sports coverage, just like you guys do as well. Um, and, you know, try to change the landscape and, and change the narrative, which is something that I think we all, we're all trying to do in the space. Right. Um, <laughs> because, you know, some people uh, haven't really, uh, haven't been able to do it themselves. Right. Uh, so we're trying to, we're trying to make up for them, but um, yeah, how Persevere started a little bit, how, pers how Persevere started, uh, started in two ways. Um, the first way was actually three ways. So first way was, I always wanted to be a journalist, right? And uh, when I was going to university, I chose not to study journalism because obviously one, Warrior doesn't have a journalism program and it was a great school and I really wanted to go there. But then two, also uh, I, I kind of had this idea that like, damn, I don't know what I want to do with my life, right? Um, and to study journalism would be too specific of a subject to study. So I wanted to keep things broad, which is why I studied all those things. And uh so yeah, I always wanted to be a journalist and, and uh, always still had that passion, even though I was in school studying other stuff, right? And then two, right, uh, obviously as former athletes, like being an athlete in Canada and being someone that's passionate about journalism, understanding that like, damn, like we as Canadian athletes get no exposure whatsoever. And if we do, it's not to the level that like people down South get, right? And one of the funny things is every summer I'll come back to Toronto and uh, I'll invest in a trainer like that was my thing every summer I'll invest in a trainer within the city or a little bit outside the city like in Brampton Mississauga wherever and every summer I would find myself training with obviously like U sports guys but I'll find myself also training with division one guys CFL guys and the odd one or two time NFL guy now obviously I was never that good of an athlete right but I was you know in the same setting putting in that same work and the one thing I noticed is like yo like we as U sports athletes are putting in the same work right? The same work as that division one guy, the same work as that CFL guy. And to be honest, in some cases, the same work as that NFL guy, right? Now, what's the difference? Obviously, some people are a little bit more talented here and there. But the bigger difference is just that, you know what, everyone knows what the, who the NFL guy is, everyone knows who the division one guy is, the CFL guy is, no one knows who the esports guy is. So that was the second problem I identified. And then, um, or the second reason, because I just, that's just always been something that bothered me. And then the third thing that uh, kind of helped create Persevere was I actually got rejected for a job, right? So what actually happened was when I was at university, when I was in university, I wanted to write for the school newspaper when I was in my third year, right? I wanted to write for the school newspaper and I wanted to uh, run their social media account, right? And I remember I applied for the job and uh, they were just like, hey, Deshaun, we got your resume. Um, do, you, do you mind if we could like see your portfolio, All right? So to prove that you could run our social media account. And I was just like, you know what? Listen, I don't have a portfolio, but I promise you I could do this job well. Like, I promise you I could do it well. And they were just like, listen, like, we, we understand you seem like a good candidate and stuff, but listen, no portfolio. We don't want to talk to you. So I'm just like, all right, all right. I'm going to make a portfolio, right? So that in a year's time, when I come back to apply for this job, I'll have something to show for. 
So then I took like that passion of wanting to be a journalist, that I that a uh, problem identified of like you know lack of esports coverage, and I said, okay, I'm gonna create a platform that you know allows me to be a journalist while covering esports, right? And that's kind of like how Persevere was born. Um, and then obviously like three years later, I think like sometime around this time is like our three year anniversary, but like three years later, it's more than just like an Instagram page. Now it's like a full blown platform. And obviously like you guys said, a brand and something that, um, I hope that university athletes and sports fans can, you know, recognize themselves with and kind of like resonate with as well. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit about me and how things kind of came to be. Well, I mean, it's, it's an awesome story and, and I resonate with a lot of it, as you can imagine, with sort of our own trajectory here. And, and, and similarly for myself, I did a year at Humber College in a, in a radio program and leaving, looking at the landscape of jobs. And I'm like, oh, right, there's like no jobs available. I guess we might as well just do something ourselves. Um, you know, it, you, there's so much great stuff in that story. And one thing I, I would love to kind of touch back on is is the the part where and you kind of identified it as part with getting being injured and, and thinking about the life after football and that's you know a thing that you know kind of connected with the mental health piece that so often for athletes you identify so much with your sport because of all those years training you talk about that the really the differences between being a U sport you know athlete ncaa cfl nfl some of those sometimes those differences are really small and really it becomes part of our identity and leaving that can be so difficult and you obviously were able to identify this is a pathway you wanted to go into journalism you were able to find a way to sort of do it on your own can you talk a little bit about whether it's conversations you've had with other athletes or maybe it's partly what you do with your brand that significance for athletes of knowing that you know what, even for the best of us, and when I say best of us, I'm I'm not actually including myself because my athletic career wasn't all that spectacular, but even for the best of the best out there, it does come to an end, and especially like a game like football that, oh, you know, so often takes more than it gives us. That and just ultimately just that piece of thinking past the field, thinking about when you eventually do hang up the cleats because it comes for all of us, having that next step, how important that is for young athletes. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's first off, it's super important. Right. And, and don't worry, I resonate with you as well. When you say like your career wasn't all that, like, trust me, my career wasn't all that either. So don't worry, I'm with you on that. But um, listen, like the reality is this, like as a university athlete, you spend all this time training, you know, doing film study, dieting, you know, working on like, you know, basically you're, you're, you're living, you're basically working a job, full-time job. Right. And um, even if you do get drafted, right. Like, the reality is like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw this stat and you can correct me if I'm wrong or whatever, but um, I think the average football, like professional football career is like 3.5 years, right? And so, it, you know, you look at that and, and you're like, and first of all, and it's like, and I'm pretty sure it's like 1% that I even make it to the, the, the professional football career. So it's like, you know what, it's just like, you, you put in all this time, right? You, you're working a full-time job, it, it becomes your identity right? You resonate with it so much. It becomes who you are, what people know you for, you know, that status that you, you apply to yourself when you introduce yourself to people, the people you hang around when you're in clubs, all that stuff, when you're in class, the, the apparel you wear, everything, um, right? And, and you do all that work really and truly, um, most likely, if you even make it all the way, most likely for a three and a half year career, right? And I think the crazy thing is no one really talks about that three and a half year stat. Right. No, no one really talks about that. Like, you know, like you think about the professional football career, like 
people always want to talk about like the long, like Tom Brady-esque career or the successful, like LeBron James-esque career, right? Or the career of the superstars, but nobody wants to focus on that guy that got drafted and, you know, what played for two or three years and then retired after, never got signed, never got picked up again, right? And, and his career just ended right there. Like nobody wants to talk about that person, right? And it's crazy. So, and, and you know, I, that's why I think like, it's it's so it's almost toxic in a way right that like we have this culture in sports not just in Canada just in sports in general that you know you have athletes putting in all this work right and you know identifying themselves with this sport and neglecting to worry about you know the professional aspect of their life that's most likely going to come sooner than they think um because all we do is just glamorize the superstar stories, right? That like we see for like years on and, and are like the face of like those certain sports. I think it's crazy that we don't, you know, talk to our athletes and let them know the reality of like, hey, you know what? Like once you go to the university level, if, if you're even lucky to get to university level, right? Um, there's a 1% chance you're gonna go pro. And you know what? If you do go pro, like the average length of your career will probably be this unless you're like an elite, elite athlete. And you know what? Like, that's an even smaller, smaller, smaller percentage, right? So I think it's just it's just crazy that we're letting like young athletes who are in such important years of their life, right? Who are paying to go to school. I think it's crazy that we're just blindly letting them kind of just like, you know, live their life and 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 chase a goal that is attainable, yes, but chase that goal without worrying about, you know the second half of their life. That's probably going to be even more important. That's going to be the foundation of their life. That's going to be what feeds their children, feeds their family, buys them the houses that they need, all that stuff. Right. And, and so that's why you have like, yeah, like I'm sure we've all seen it. You have all these athletes who, you know, resonate so much with their sport and they put everything they have into their, into, you know, trying to go pro. And then when they don't go pro and they're done university, they don't know what to do. Right. And they're like, damn, I don't know what to do. Like I came into university I enrolled in the easiest program because my coach told me to, right? And they wanted to get me into school and, I, you know, and I didn't take school seriously. I didn't do co-op or I didn't try to do internships. I didn't try to do work study. I've been here for four or five years and I still don't know who I am. I, I thought I was a football player and now I'm no longer a football player and I'm not even in school anymore. Who am I? Right. And that's when you seriously start to see like, that's when it's extremely dangerous for mental health because then you're literally 24, 25 years old and you don't know who you are at all. You have nothing to resonate with. Everything you've ever known about who you are has been taken away from you, right? That's dangerous, right? So I think <clears throat> me personally, like the way I learned that lesson was like, yeah, for me, like, okay. Yeah, I had, I had like that injury my first year that really changed my perspective on like life, but just seeing it too around me whether it be former teammates, whether it be friends that went to go play at other schools, whether it be, you know, people that were older than me, all that stuff, um, seeing it, right? Uh, when the sport's taken away from you, you don't know who you are. Um, I think that's scary. I think that's sad. I, I think it's concerning, right? And um, yeah, I, I just think it's crazy that we're letting, you know, athletes do this and, and not like, you know, taking a better approach to like trying to guide them um, when we know what the reality is. Well, and, and that's why it's, it's it's great to be able to have these conversations. And, it, you know, even for those who do make it to the sort of 
end of their, you know, f- you know, if they can play a full career at a professional level. I mean, you still have, as you kind of mentioned, if not half, your, like more than half your life remaining that we're not going to be in a professional setting. And, uh, you know, one of the one of the great tidbits that uh, we picked up in, in speaking with some players from McMaster a few years ago was that part of their recruiting pitch was don't make a th- four to five year decision make a a 40 year decision kind of looking at that long term so i think that's a a mentality that more athletes more more universities as well because it's kind of alluded to sometimes it's a you know it's you know it's it's, there's all the business with sports recruiting and all that but you know you got to have a little sometimes there's lacks that that real honesty with all this stuff but we we, i'm sure we can go down that uh you know to, to no end um you know one of the things in kind of uh looking up a bit of background information on you, Deshaun, was that your involvement in, you know, obviously we know about Persevere and you told us the great story with that, but as well, uh, the work you do with both the Black Canadian Coaches Association um, and then the Federation of, uh, I'm sorry, was it uh, Black Canadian Athletes? Was that the one? I'm sorry if I got that one mixed up. Oh, let me see. Federation of Black Canadians, eh? Oh, yeah. Sorry. My apologies. Um, I'm just, I'm curious. I'd once again, kind of, it was, it's great kind of learning all these things about you. I wonder if you could share with the, our listeners, uh, your involvement with those organizations, kind of what that impact is or what that, um, the significance of being able to participate in groups like that is for you. So Federation of Black Canadians, I'm not involved with anymore. That was, um, so that was my first job at the university and I was there for a couple of months and then I moved on. Um, but I'll talk to you about uh, the, I'll talk to you about Black Canadian Coaches Association because I think that has a lot to do with sports as well and it's important. Um, I'm not that saying FBC is not important. Both of them are important. But, uh, but yeah, uh, Black Canadian Coaches Association. So it's, it's a nonprofit organization that was founded by Liana Osei, who's the former uh, uh, head coach of women's basketball over at St. FX. Um, and essentially what their goal is, is to, you know, help create opportunities for um, coaches of color, you know, within the Canadian, you know, sports community, breaking down those barriers, um, opening doors, uh, you know, creating the opportunity for networking, um, just amongst the community, bringing them all together and, you know, basically creating that, that feeling of empowerment. Uh, so um, I, I started helping out with that organization when it first started back in summer of 2020. Uh, so I was the manager of media and marketing. And then I kind of had to step back and because uh, obviously professional professional endeavors got in the way. But yeah, I had to step back from that role. And now I kind of like help out periodically. Um, but yeah, that that organization really is uh, it's really crucial. It's really it's been a really big game changer um, for the coaching community and for I would say like coaches of color in the coaching community, because um, one, it's 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 achieved the goal of connectivity. Right. I think that's I think that's so important. Like, um you have all these groups where, you know, you can meet coaches from across the country and talk with them and, you know, talk about certain things happening in the news, talk about certain things that opportunities that come up, whether it be a coaching opportunity, whether it be a grant opportunity, all that stuff. I think that's so important. That connectivity aspect is so important. So for me, um, even though I've never been a coach, um, just someone who's been a part of the community, who's been passionate about the community and has always been striving to create change, um, for me to meet coaches in different parts of the country has always been so key because for me to like get to like know like hey what is it like being a coach out east in like you know Nova Scotia or out west in you know BC like that's crazy like I think that's so cool um, but yeah like that's that's essentially the goal of, of what they're trying to do and, and and really just break down those barriers and, and help empower the the the, uh, the BIPOC coaching community here in this country because obviously as we know like you know they're 
there are struggles that BIPOC coaches face, right? I think those are well documented. And, and so their, uh, their goal is to really kind of like break down those barriers. And also while, while breaking down those barriers, create opportunities of their own. So they've created opportunities of their own, such as co- coaching clinics um, in partnership with like Football Ontario, right? They've uh, created job opportunities for, you know, young people coming out of university. Um, the list goes on, the list goes on. Uh, business opportunities for entrepreneurs, um, so many things, right? So uh, that, that organization is really important. Uh, huge support of that organization. And uh, if you haven't already and you're listening to this, I suggest you follow them on social media at the BCCA. So, yeah. Well, and, and one of the reasons I, I kind of wanted to bring that up is, you know, connecting it back with, with the idea of mental health. And, and obviously that organization, as you highlighted, works with trying to, to empower and give more opportunities for members of the BIPOC community and, and coaching. But, you know, I'm, I imagine you probably see similar uh, I guess, I don't know if issues is the right word, but, you know, lack of diversity in the media landscape as well. And once again, tying it back into the idea of mental health, and you mentioned the idea of making connections and the, you know, not feeling as alone, I guess, in the world of media or in, in coaching. Um, I, I guess, does that factor in at all when you think about the the sort of the idea of mental health, being able to have not just opportunities, but also just being able to, you know, uh, like recognize, you know, whether it's whatever community someone might be from being able to have a seat, you know, see people uh, from your own community prospering in industries that you're looking to work in. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a big thing. Um, and I, I actually, I, I get that question all the time a lot, like, um, and you kind of like hit the nail on the head, like in media, right? Like reality is there's not a lot of like people of color in media and there's not a lot of black people in media. Reality is like, if you look right now, like there's not a lot of black people in the university sports landscape of media. There's not a lot of us, right, to begin with, right? There's not a lot of people of color in that area either, right? Um, so I think like it definitely plays a big part because um, when you're like one of one that you can see, like for example, like for me, like for me, like I have not been able to see, I have not seen like any other black person um, covering university sports in Canada. And I rarely see uh, black people in Canadian sports media, right? Like the whole, the whole thing in, in the media community is that if you're of color, if you're black, like you're best off going down South because there are tons of more opportunities. And that's what I've heard directly from like members of the industry, right? So when you're like, when you're in the, when you're in the section of the industry and you feel like you're all by yourself, it's like, you, you almost feel like, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to gain support it's hard to you know like it's hard to get people on your side and you kind of always question like will people understand what i'm doing and you always question like you know like it, it's 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 weird you just feel like you're by yourself you know and and that definitely like sits with you right like i think for me like i think for me like i can think back to like that biggest feeling for me was when i got to waterloo when i was in my first year and when i got to waterloo my first year there were only five black people on the team <laughs> out of about over a hundred people, right? Like, first of all, you think about that, that's pretty crazy, right? But like, um, I, I'll never forget this. Like the, the reason why I, I felt comfortable stepping into that situation was because when I was on my recruiting visit, I'll never forget this. I was on my recruiting visit, I was sitting down beside my mom and we were watching the team work out on a Saturday morning. And uh, one of the black players came and he sat beside me, right? His name was, his name's Richmond Nketiah, right? Number three. He was a receiver and running back, and he got drafted by Montreal Alouettes. Great friend. 
And um, I remember he sat down beside me and he was just like, so, uh, so what schools are you looking at? And I was like, well, I'm looking at this school. I'm looking at that school. Blah, blah, blah. And he was just like, well, we haven't beat these schools. So I can't really like, you know, say we beat them or anything. And then he's like, look, I know you're looking around and you don't see a lot of like, you know, black people. Um, but he was like, listen, I promise you, like, if you come here, I promise you, I will look out for you and do my best to support you. And that right there for me was like, okay, like, I think I could consider coming here. And obviously I did. And, and Rich, Richmond never, he never failed that promise. Like I was there with him for all five years I was there and he looked out for me every step of the way and he always supported me and he, he kept his promise. But even though I had that support in another, you know, black teammate, still stepping into like, yo, I'm from Toronto, but I'm from Jane and Finch. Like there's people of color everywhere. And then you go to the University of Waterloo and you don't see anyone that looks like you. You're just like, whoa, like, do I belong here? Like, what was going on, you know, or even being in the classroom. I remember being in the classroom and this was, this would happen to me all five years. I'll be in the classroom. I'd always sit in the back. Right. And when I would put my hand up to speak and a teacher would say, Deshaun, what do you have to say? Everyone in the class would turn around and look at me as if like, oh my gosh, the black guy speaking. I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, like he's speaking, like, let's hear what he's going to say. Right. And I remember, uh, I remember obviously back when I was in university, like, wasn't as grown or professional as I am now. So like I, I had slang, I spoke slang, right? So whenever I would start speaking slang a little bit, what I'm saying, like my classmates, my classmates would start to laugh a little bit, right? Cause they just hear slang and they're just like, yo, who's this guy speaking slang? You know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, like, I think, I think it's crazy. Just like, just the idea of like, when you're, when you, when you're in a professional setting, academic setting, athletic setting, and you don't see people that look like you, one, it creates that sense of loneliness. Two, you question if you belong. And then three, like you start to like second guess yourself and doubt yourself a lot. Right. And, and you, you like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and you, you fear like, you know, if you make a mistake or if you mess up, like, is anyone going to stick up for you? Is anyone going to be your ally? Do people believe in you? Right. Um, so yeah, it, it was crazy. Like even, um, even when I was on, on the, being on the team, like that first year, like I was so like hesitant, like walking on eggshells because like, you know, first year right so it's culture shock and like academically plus culture shock like you know racially right all that stuff culturally everything right and then on top of that i'm finding myself in class as well again like i'm facing those exact same barriers because i'm the only you know black student and i'm looking around and no one looks like me right so i think like it's it's just so important to to have that diversity in industries because yes like um it, it, it does it does like cure that sense of loneliness it does make people feel like you know what like they have a little bit more comfort but then also what it also does too is it also creates the opportunity to always have a different perspective right like you know as a as a as a black man like i will not be able to identify with the struggles of a person of another color because every single culture every single ethnicity has certain struggles of their own right and so it's important to be able to have you know people that can touch on all those struggles and see all those perspectives, right? And when you don't have people who could touch on those struggles and see all those perspectives, then that's what, you know, creates the foundation for systemic issues, right? And then suddenly you have, you know, organizations, you know, going 10, 20 years without having, you know, any, you know, uh, any, any diversity, 
and they get they get a they get a ethnicity check or a diversity check a diversity audit and suddenly you know the findings are like oh we didn't know we didn't know we didn't know you know well you didn't know because maybe you didn't have people of different perspectives people of you know diverse diverse you know cultures to give you that perspective and you know see things from those different point of views right so uh, I think it's just important, man. Like, it's just, it's so important to have diversity in, in every single industry, um, you know, and and be able to open those doors for people and be able to, you know, also make people feel comfortable and and make everyone feel like they're in a safe space. Absolutely. And and kind of in, in part with your telling of that story to do so in a way that isn't just you know, oh, Deshaun, you are the, the the black person I know. So you so speak on every issue of, you know, the, in, within that community, kind of tokenizing it as well, having it as a less like, you know, as you kind of mentioned, you know, you speak up in class and everyone kind of turns like, oh, Deshaun's going to speak. What is he going to, you know, kind of having a less like, you know, not on this like kind of mythical creatures. Like, no, you're just, a, you know, you're just part it's of, no, you know. Normal guy, man. Exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, so kind of wrapping up one of the last things I kind of wanted to touch on um yeah. you know and talk on this as as much as you feel comfortable um obviously this past year in the OE way um we had a tragic loss of Francis Perron from the Ottawa GGs and relating to your time with Waterloo of, of course for those who don't remember uh a, a teammate of yours Lam Ding passed away or was was murdered during I think it was the summer of 2018 2017 I um and you know, I, I can, I can't even begin to imagine just as a team what that must have uh, been like. Um, as much as you just want to talk about, just once again, just trying thinking about what this past year must have been like for members of the Ottawa GGs. Um, how how did the team sort of deal with that? I mean, obviously, I know you can't really speak for you know the the team as a whole or anything but even just for you personally because i i know you must have obviously played alongside him as, as another receiver um just as much as you want to talk about that i'm just curious what that experience was like yeah um first off i just want to say lam ding was a legend like he was a legend man like he was such a great football player such a great person um such a great human just just a great person to be around such a great carry always carried, carried a great vibe um he's just a he was just a legend man like so it was such an honor and privilege just to like know him in my first you know three four years at waterloo and um build a build a relationship with him right friendship brotherhood all that stuff like you know i talk about when i first got there and there was only five black guys on the team he was one of them right um so that means for him so that so that means for me he was one of the people people i found comfort in as, as, a, as a rookie, as a first year, right? Um, with, the, with, with the Ottawa GGs, like with them, with the loss of Francis Perron, like, uh, like I know how they feel. Um, well, you know what, actually I don't know how they feel because it happened during the regular season. And I can't imagine how tough it is to, um, <clears throat> you know, to lose a brother, like during the regular season and have to continue playing. Right. And, and it's, it's tough. Right. And and, it, and um, it's just crazy, man. Like, you know, I, like I could just all I hope I just hope that, you know, they've received all the support that they can, they can get throughout this, because really and truly, like, um, I don't think any amount of support will, is, is ever enough. You know, these things just like 
they slowly heal with time, you know, and, and being able to talk to people and stuff like that. And I just hope that like all those players and, and coaches have, have had the opportunity to, you know, be able to talk with people and, and, you know, get it out and, and be able to, you know, you know, be able to remember their, their, their teammate in positive ways, right. Uh, to move forward. Um, but yeah, I, I know how they feel. It's, it's so tough, like lo losing a teammate. And um, it's one of those things that like you never see coming, you know, which is one of the aspects of losing someone in life. Um, but when you're so young, it's not one of those things that you ever, you know, think would happen to you, right? Oh, man, you know, so um, going through that is tough. But I think one of the, the greatest things that I learned um, from that experience was just, you know, like it, it really gave me a different perspective on just my friends and families and my, and my teammates too. Um, you know, I, I could definitely say like, yeah, it changed, it changed a lot of my outlooks just to like, you know, be able to just cherish every single day and, and, you know, really appreciate the people you have around you. Right. Um, but yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Like, well, if, if I can add just one sort of additional sort of question to tie in with that and wrap it up, um, you, you mentioned, you know, being able to sort of get it out and, and, um, you know, part of, having this the talk you know we, we've discussed with players before about the resources available through the schools i mean obviously schools provide uh you know, for football teams you have you know your the trainers for you know build up your body you have coaches to be able to learn the game to be able to learn how to play it but of course you know we have this you know, we have our, the mental side of it as well which some schools not not exactly knowing what resources available but i'm sure some schools do better jobs than others much like some schools do better jobs of others in those other areas of football as well um did you like were there resources from Waterloo or maybe not even pertaining necessarily to that, but uh, specifically, but just at Waterloo, did you find that the school has, you know, were they positive as far as players seeking out, whether it was speaking with a therapist or any type of sports psychology? Like once again, not necessarily pertaining to that store in particular, but just as a school or just anything on that on that sort of train of thought. Well, it happened in, in April. So April is like when the school year is done and you have exams and people leave and they go back to like, you know, go back home. So half the team wasn't even in city, right? Um, so I don't really know like what resources were available because I just know for myself, like I was in the city for exams and um, once my exams were done and all that, I, I, I went back home to kind of like be able to deal with it on my own. Um, I can say, I can say the school was there for us. Like, you know, they, they did offer that stuff, even though we were all kind of like remote and all over, all over the province, all over the country. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it, like you, you make a great point. Like, you know, some schools do offer like counseling resources and stuff like that. And I think it's important just for like all students, all student athletes to be aware of that. Right. Like, um, you know, if you if you do need someone to talk to, like check to see if your school do, does have a number of counselors. And I know not all schools have like have it good. Like I know Waterloo, listen, at Waterloo, there's 50,000 students. And when I was there, we only had two counselors. So that's not a good ratio. Right. But um, I know in some schools is much better and some schools is much worse. But I think it's important for at least all athletes to just, you know, understand where the resources are, understand where, you know, they can see a counselor. Where is that office located? Right. 
Um, if they need someone to talk to, like, where can they go, right? Um, and it doesn't even have to be if tragedy happens. It could just be if you're having anxiety, uh, if you're having, you know, a feeling of depression, if you're having a feeling of uncertainty, right? Uh, I remember I had a teammate. <laughs> it's crazy, but I had, I had a teammate. Um, like, he, he, yeah, he would just have anxiety when he was on the field. And he went to go speak to a counselor. And she was able to help him, you know, kind of get in the right mindset and overcome that. And, and, you know, feel more comfortable on the field and feel more comfortable, you know, with the playbook and stuff, right? So I think, you know, I, I think athletes, and I think obviously as athletes, I think we all go through emotions. I think all athletes feel a sense of anxiety or, or uncertainty or some type of, you know, depression at, at some point in their career. Uh, so I just think like, it's, it's just good to have an idea of where those resources are for when that time does come. Just know that, you know, you have an idea of where to go and who to talk to. Absolutely. I mean, we all fell in love with this game at some point or another it's unfortunate for any reason going on you kind of lose that love so having the resources to whether it's to deal with anxieties anything going on is is paramount uh Deshaun thank you so much uh I'm I'm certain anyone listening to this knows the brand but once again let people know where can they find all the content Persevere is putting out (laughs) uh no first off I want to say thank you for like the opportunity of you know bringing me on like you guys do amazing work. I'm a big fan of your guys' work. I've been following you guys since I was in uh, my last year at Waterloo. So you guys do amazing stuff. So thank you for all that you do. Um, if you are interested and you're listening and, and you know, following Persevere and viewing Persevere content, you can follow us uh, at Insta- in, on Instagram at Persevere underscore, Twitter at Persevere underscore. Uh, you can visit Persevere.com um, for more you know, articles and all that stuff. And if you ever want to see some of our uh, video content that we've got going on, on TikTok, you can follow us at Persevere on TikTok as well. Yeah, thank you. Beautiful. And I say this completely honestly. Honestly, you make us better as well by what you do. So thank you. Take care, Deshaun. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys.